May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Evangelism. That's two bad words now we've said today. Stewardship before the service, now evangelism. What, what else is left? That's a word that sometimes makes us uncomfortable. It's a word that we have certain pictures or associations. Uh, maybe when you hear evangelism, you think of, uh, think of Billy Graham, the, the great crusades that, that he would fill stadiums. You think of the altar calls. Maybe think of something much smaller. Maybe think of those people that go door to door knocking on people's uh, doors and, and asking them, if you were to, di- to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? Maybe you think of some of those intellectual debates uh, that happen between, between Christians and atheists and the, the battle of the minds as they try to argue what, what really makes sense, what really is true to this world. Even the, the basic idea of evangelism, how we would explain it, might seem a little bit wordy. Uh, to evangelize someone is, is to tell them about Jesus with the intent that, that they would put their faith in Jesus, that they would be a disciple of Jesus, that they would follow him. And we as Lutherans come to this word with our, our own expectations, our own ideas, When we talk about evangelism, we understand the Holy Spirit's role. And and maybe we understand the Holy Spirit's role slightly different than other people. But but we say, we don't convert anybody. We don't bring anyone to Christ. We can't make them have faith in Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit alone creates faith in people. And that's absolutely true. But sometimes as Lutherans, we take that point of doctrine and and we sort of use it to to miss the bigger picture. That although the Holy Spirit is the one that does this work, the Holy Spirit still works through people. The Holy Spirit still works through means. The Holy Spirit works through you and me when we tell others about Jesus. And that's what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says. It's all about. And I'm sure when you heard that the theme, therefore go, uh, comes from Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, you probably didn't say to yourself, wow, that's, that's right. That the, the Bible tells us that we, we are to go and make more disciples. I never heard that before. That's, that's completely new to me. I don't think any of you probably thought that. It's a very well-known passage of Scripture. Uh, It is a passage that I think just about every church, every Christian church has built into their founding documents, their charters, their constitution. If you would ask them what it is that they're about, why do they exist, they would probably at some point in time talk about Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We are here to make more disciples. And Jesus' words, his commands to the disciples are are words that are especially important for us, too. They tell us why we're here. They tell us uh, about that ultimate goal, that we are here to make more disciples. And and specifically, how does that happen? It happens by baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching people to keep 
Jesus's words, to keep those words close to their hearts. Those are the words that are the foundation of their lives. So that's the goal. That's the destination. But sometimes we do ourselves a little bit of a disservice by by simply putting that goal up there and thinking that it just, it happens on its own. It happens spontaneously. When in reality, we forget that very often, in fact, I would say most of the time, there are some steps that take place in order to reach that goal. That there are some steps that take place before we get there. That, that this might be the destination, but there is a journey that takes place before somebody will come to the baptismal font, before somebody will be found in church or in a Bible study. And that's why I chose the gospel reading that I did for today. Because I think it's all about evangelism. But it is not a passage that, that really talks about making disciples in that very mature way that Jesus does at the end of Matthew's gospel, because this is before the disciples have even been sent out by Jesus. This is, this is before there were disciples of Jesus. This is at the very beginning. And if you look at that, you'll see kind of a model, a model for, for life, a model, I think, for us to understand how it is that we make more disciples. And, and it doesn't even touch on baptizing and teaching. We'll get there. That's the goal. That's the destination. But this talks about what might be necessary before that takes place. So John's gospel, like all of the gospels, begins with the baptism of Jesus. But John's gospel is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke because in those other gospels we see Jesus being baptized. That baptism is described. We get to be an audience to it. But not in John's gospel. In John's gospel we don't get to see Jesus being baptized. Instead, we hear. We hear an account of Jesus's baptism. We hear John the baptizer say what happened when he baptized Jesus. John says, I I baptized him and, and there I saw the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. And this is the one that God told me was the one to come. This one is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Deliverer. John sees And he shares that message. He shares what he sees with other people. And and he did that just before our gospel reading began today. But he also does it at the very beginning. He says to his disciples, to the people around him, Look, look at this Jesus. This Jesus is the Lamb of God. To us, that might not mean much, but to people in Jesus' day, that said a lot. The, The sacrificial lamb, the lamb that God provides, the lamb that wipes away the sins of the world. John was inviting people to see Jesus as he saw Jesus. He was inviting them to see Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as this deliverer that God had provided. And one of John's disciples, a man named Andrew, 
hears what John says. He, he hears that invitation to see Jesus in this particular way, and, and he's curious. He wants to know, what is, what is this Jesus about? So he starts to follow him. Jesus asks him, well, what do you want? And Andrew says, where are you staying? I, I, I want to get to know you. I want to spend some time to learn what it is that John sees in you, what makes you so special. And so Andrew goes, and he spends the day with Jesus. We don't know what they talked about, what they did. It's kind of like the baptism of Jesus. It happens kind of off the page. It happens behind the scenes. We don't get to see it. We don't get to hear it, but we see the result. And the result is that Andrew finds his brother Simon, and he says to him, Come and see. Come and see this Jesus, for he is the Christ, the Messiah. We have found him. Andrew invites Simon Peter, his brother, to come and see and experience Jesus just like he has seen and experienced him. But maybe I shouldn't say that Andrew invites his brother, for the gospel is quite clear. Uh, There's not exactly an invitation. It says that Andrew brings his brother and brings him to Jesus. So it was an invitation. It just might have been a rather forceful one. And that pattern gets repeated again. Uh, Philip, after our reading ends, he does the same thing. He sees, he shares, and he invites. John does this. John the baptizer does this. Andrew does this. Philip does it. Three different times, and all three times the result is the same. More people begin to follow Jesus. Seems like it's not just a coincidence. It seems like maybe there's something we can learn from here. Maybe we too can be a people that that follows this pattern, that, that we see, share, and invite others to follow Jesus so that they too might be found in him, that they too might be his disciples. See, share, invite. Doesn't sound so difficult, does it? But first, we must be that people who sees. We need to see with the eyes of God. We need to see how our God is at work in this world. So last Sunday, I kind of touched on this, and I I invited you to, to see you in your working life. Not just that you go to work and work for your employers, but that you ultimately are servants of Christ, that you work for him and that God has placed you in the places that you spend your time, your home, your your place of work, wherever it is that you spend your time, God has placed you there. And you do work for him. And and I, I ask you, do you see God at work? Do you see God at work when you go to work? Do you see God at work in you, in your other co-workers, in your employees? And maybe you had time to think about that this week. Maybe you start to see how God does use you to serve other people, how he has used other people to serve you. But maybe that's still difficult for you. And, And... You can still see God at work, but maybe you want to start at a different place. Rather than trying to see where God is at work, maybe try to see 
where God needs to be at work? Where is God needed most in your life or just in this world in general? You can pray that God would open your eyes so that you would see that, that you would see where he is most needed. And when you start to see that, I think you'll also start to see where God is at work. Because often we think of those places uh, where tragedy has struck, where there is great suffering, where there are problems. That's where God is most needed, we might think. And if we think that that is where God is most needed, if we look at those situations with the eyes of God, perhaps we will see that God is there, that God is at work. He's at work sometimes, we see in the hands of those first responders. He's at work in those actions of those good Samaritans, the people that have nothing in it for themselves but are there to provide assistance and help. That he's there at work in your life, in your actions, in your works of compassion and kindness. In VBS this summer, uh, kids had that opportunity, and, and this is something that I think we've done for quite a while, to, to have these God sightings, to, to mention them, to celebrate them. And you know, those God sightings, those places where we see God at work, they're not always miraculous things. God does miracles, but he also works in the ordinary things. He works in the ordinary parts of our life. And so we, too, can see God at work, and we can celebrate that. One of the ways we celebrate it is by doing what those kids did. They saw it. They shared it. They shared how they saw God at work. And we can be people who do that, too. See, we share all sorts of things with all sorts of people in our lives. We, we talk with people about our families about our work lives, we talk about the weather, we talk about our favorite hobbies, our favorite sporting teams. We talk about the things that are on our mind because those are the things that are on our mind. Those are the things that we want to talk about. And so we may not always talk about God because, honestly, maybe God's not always on our mind. But if you start to have those eyes that see God, that see God at work in your life and in the lives of other people, guess what? It will be on your mind. It will be on your mind how you've seen God at work, and, and you won't really have to try. You won't really have to force it. It will be sort of natural to say to others, you know, I've really been struck this week by how I've seen God at work in my life. And you know what? Do that. Do that sometime this week or maybe next week. As you've started to, to think and pray about, about how God is at work, how you've seen God at work in your life and in the world, share that with somebody. Could be somebody close to you. Could be somebody at work. It, it doesn't need to be a Christian. It could be. But, but share with them how you've seen God at work. Don't, don't wait for the perfect moment. Just just share it, just like you would any other thing. And I don't know how that person that you share this with will respond. 
Could be they'll smile and nod and just go on with the conversation. Could be they'll pretend that you didn't say that and change the subject. It could be that you'll start an entirely new conversation. That that they will be struck by what you see. And that that will provide an opportunity to to say something more. to, To begin a greater conversation. Because they might be somebody who's been just down in the dumps. Overwhelmed. Anxious. Stressed. And yet... And yet when you come to them and talk about how you see God at work in this world, it will be something new to them. You mean there's hope? You mean that, that we're not in this alone? That this world isn't just falling apart? See, and that's when you'll have the opportunity to invite them. To invite them to see the world how you see that world. How you see the world as a world where God is very present. Where God has not abandoned us, but he is at work. And we know that God is at work in his word and his sacraments as he has promised to be. But he is also at work in us, his people. And he's at work in non-Christians as well. God is the God of the universe and he is active and at work. So all you're doing is inviting them to that perspective, to that point of view. But don't invite them to church. Don't invite them to Bible study. Just making sure he's not pulling me away from the mic. What I mean is, don't do it in those words. Sometimes it seems like you're inviting somebody to a funeral. Instead, invite them to a place where you are fed. Invite them to a place where you are refreshed. Invite them to a place where you are filled with joy, where you are filled with peace, where you are assured that your life matters, that you are a person of consequence, that you have a purpose in this world. And I pray that by inviting somebody to that place, you're inviting them to this place, to Bible study, to church. But don't just invite them to those places. Invite them to that world as you experience it. Invite them to see the world how you see it. Because then you'll really catch their interest. Then they'll start to see, oh, is that why you go to church? Oh, is that what this is about? I I thought you just did that because that's what good people do. No, it's something so much bigger. See, share, invite. Now, in all of those things, I didn't really get to the heart of Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and 20, did I? I didn't talk about baptizing. I didn't talk about, uh, about people keeping those words of Jesus close to their hearts. That's the goal. But sometimes we need to talk about the journey. We need to talk about how you get to that goal. It's college football season now. NFL too, I guess, but 
you know that when the players take the field, every single play is not designed to get a touchdown. That's the goal. They want to put points on the board. But what they ultimately want to do is keep the ball in play. Keep possession. Keep advancing the ball down the field till you're in that position when you can get the touchdown, till you can score those points. Maybe evangelism is like that too. We know what the goal is. We know what the destination is. Sometimes we're frustrated that we don't always end the day with points on the board. But sometimes it's just about keeping the ball in play. Sometimes it's just about pushing things forward. And seeing, sharing, inviting, these are all ways that that happens. It might seem like something small, something insignificant. But God has a way of using these small things, and he blesses them. And he accomplishes his most wonderful purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, who is your Lord and risen Savior. Amen.